Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. This is your host, J-Dub. Back, episode 65 of this little podcast that could, so to speak. Uh, I'm going to tackle pretty much all Super Bowl stuff, all the matchup, the storylines. And at the end, I'll go through the NBA season kind of midway point. But the crux of this is going to be about the Super Bowl participants, the matchup, and all the storylines. So I'll get to that on the next. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Don't get you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Okay, it's the end of January. We've got our Super Bowl matchup set. It's a rematch from the 2019 season or 2020 Super Bowl. So exactly four seasons ago. But the hype will be enormous thanks to Swifty Nation, Mahomes' brilliance, and just the many stars in the 49ers side. These teams have played in a ton of conference championship games. Casey's been to six straight, so predates their matchup. And the Niners have been in four of the last five. So it's going to be a fun media Super Bowl. Lots of stuff going on before the game. And I want to get into that. So let's start with Super Bowl 58. Matchup is obviously Chiefs and Niners. Both these teams have been just... They've been there. So there's no underdog stories. There's no upstart mystique. These are arguably the two best franchises in their respective conferences that last past half decade. KC's won two Super Bowls, so they're clearly in a different plane than the 49ers. 49ers have played in one, lost to KC, and been in three other conference championship games, which they uh, they lost to, and then they won this past one. They're there. You know their stars. Christian McCaffrey, Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, Fred Warner, Obviously, they've got the Mr. Irrelevant story with Brock Purdy. So a ton of cool storylines. But what are the actual storylines? What are the things that we'd be looking out for? What's going to dominate the next 10 days? So first will be, will Taylor Swift be at the Super Bowl? Which I think we likely will say she likely or likely will be. But more importantly, what effect will she have? Again, highly likely she'll be there. There's a bunch of reporting on this, but her last show ends on Friday night in Tokyo. But that's a, or sorry, Saturday night in Tokyo. But that's effectively... Uh, Friday night, West Coast time, PST. There's a 16-hour time difference there. So she basically can get on a plane and get to Vegas actually the night of Saturday. It's crazy, but she can pull it off. So that's possible. What effect will she have on the game? Likely little at this juncture. Look, if you're a conspiracy theorist, there's little to no value in tilting the game in the favor of one team or the other at this point, right? The NFL got what they want. They've got Taylor Swift hype and Taylor Swifties will be watching the game yeah look i'm a great example of this I, I knew who taylor swift was i knew a couple songs i wasn't a fan i didn't listen to the music and now i'm i just hear about it all the time there's a little bit heightened interest in the game i i don't know why i don't really care but it is a little bit of interesting but where does it impact i don't know i think the impact's obviously gonna be on audience they're projecting this will be the most watched super bowl ever there's, I think I saw some prediction, some data behind it that was like five to 10 million incremental people in North America will watch and potentially a lot more than that globally. She's a, she's a superstar in Europe and Asia. So a lot more people may tune in. I don't think this is going to be an impact on the 49ers just because how often are they going to be asked about it? But I think the impact will definitely be on ticket prices. There'll be a few people more that want to go or will feel that emotional pull of, I just got to be in the stadium. And most definitely in the pregame hype department, like the fact that I'm even talking about this as a storyline on a sports podcast is insane. I do think there's a possibility there's a distraction for the Kansas City side. I'm not counting on it. I wouldn't bet that. 
but it's got to be a little bit. They're going to be talking about it all the time. At some point, it's, hey, what, what this team accomplished a lot. We're in the Super Bowl. Let's talk about this team. So that's going to get a little bit crazy. Next storyline, and I'm creating this one. I'm, I'm convinced of this now, but first is how do you beat Patrick Mahomes? And, and particularly, he increasingly looks like the NFL's version of Michael Jordan to me. So let me explain the Jordan reference. The GOAT, maybe Tom Brady, or even Jerry Rice. I would say Jerry Rice may be the greatest football player in terms of what he contributed, his longevity, his impact, game in, game out. Obviously, his career statistics are insane. And then there's Tom Brady, who won seven Super Bowls. He was in the nine and 21 seasons in the NFL. Like, it's that's insane. But Jordan wasn't just immensely talented as a player. It was a combination of him being great and the fiercest competitor who won at all cost. And I think that's where Brady is an incredible competitor, Jordan, but he lacks the physical skills per se. And Rice was both, but he played a position that had less control of the outcome. Mahomes, after this six-year run, where this is his fourth Super Bowl, by the way, They've won two, they lost one, and this one's yet to be determined. He's lacking any discernible advantage on offense, throwing to mostly inexperienced or hand-me-down receivers. He's architect, architect of this improbable run. This is easily the worst Chiefs offense that's made the Super Bowl in the Mahomes tenure. So why is this worse than last year, you ask? Last year, you had a younger Kelsey, obviously just one year, but you had more diversity at running back. And particularly, you had a, a great receiving back, a scat back guy in Jarek McKinnon. And you had some excitement at receiver to keep defenses honest. I think you still had Kadarius Tony was, and you had, you know, you just had a little bit more diversity there and uh, excitement. This year, McKinnon is out. Kelsey has been fantastic, but in less sustained periods. And he hasn't been excellent all year long. He may be battling some injury, especially if he's getting up there. And the receivers have just been pedestrian. It's been really bad. Statistically, Mahomes isn't even like top 15. I think, and I know fantasy was ways way off the chart, especially the second half of the year, it fell off. It'd be shocking to me if Casey doesn't draft a receiver in the first round and use and or use free agency to nab like Calvin Ridley type to provide Holmes a security blanket as as Kelsey ages out. But Mahomes has single-handedly willed this offense and to a great extent the entire team to win three straight games where they were perceived and or real underdogs. And they're back in the Super Bowl without a single 1,000-yard runner or receiver and no competitive mismatches except at quarterback. And that's Jordan-esque. I think that's the hardest thing about Mahomes that I've watched the last three games in depth. You can see it in his eyes. It reminds me of Jordan. And there's just this will on the competitive side. Again, there's been guys like Brady who have incredible competitiveness, but there's a will on the competitive side and a physical talent that's just unmatched, whether it's he's willing it to get the first down and running, or he's like sidearming, or he's making incredible reads, getting guys open, just hitting the right play at the right time. There's not even like, missed interceptions with him. He's just he's just on point. He's locked and loaded. And can the Niners beat that? I don't know. Okay, next storyline. How does KC stop the 49ers dynamic running offense? So KC's defense has been outstanding, particularly at the end of the season in playoffs, but they are vulnerable to the rush. The 49ers have one of the best and most dynamic rush offenses with, with the this year's NFL rushing leader, uh, Christian McCaffrey. And this is where Kyle Shanahan loves the game plan for. He pig-headedly tried to run at Detroit's defensive strength, the third rush defense in the NFL, and he nearly lost the game in the process. So this will be a difficult challenge for the Chiefs defense where you've got a really good offensive running game coordinator and wants to scheme that up, facing a team with really good rushing ability with Debo coming off screens and end rounds. You've got CMC is going to take the majority of the carries, even the, the backup in Elijah Mitchell's borderline former thousand yard uh, rusher, a uh, late round pick, six round pick, but he's looked good. That said, 
they've been very good at building unique game plans that slow down the opposition. This is the Chiefs. The Buffalo Bills came out moving the pile, running up and down the field in the first half against them two weeks ago, only to see those halftime adjustments completely shut down their success and turn the tide of the game. The Ravens surprisingly only gave six total carries for running backs in the AFC title game this past weekend. They abandoned their strength and seemingly their best chance to control the ball and march on the field. So I don't know if that was the game plan or they just lost sight of what their what their strength was and what the, the Chiefs' weakness was. I tend to think they're probably going to be kicking themselves all offseason. But getting back to the core point, that's a really interesting storyline. I think if the Niners can run the ball, control the ball, consistently get to the red zone, score some touchdowns, kick some field goals, it will mitigate the magic that Mahomes has in his competitiveness and just his, his dynamic ability to put up 17 or 24 points a game with this pretty mediocre offensive set. Conversely, can the Niners pass rush return? They had a very dominant pass rush at times this year and, and with it, a dominant defense. The last couple games, particularly in the playoffs against Detroit and Green Bay, those offensive lines dominated the 49ers defensive line. And this is a defensive line, by the way, that is, I think, the highest paid in the league between Nick Bosa's contract, Eric Armstead, what Chase Young is getting paid, Javon Hargrove or Hargrave. And it's one of the highest drafted, right? You've got two, I think one second overall pick, one third overall pick. I believe Eric Armstead was a number seven overall pick. Hargrave wasn't a super high pick, but obviously very high. I think he was the highest paid free agent last year in the open market. So you're talking about a team that shouldn't get pushed around and they've just been getting pushed around. Now, part of it is they like to only rush four and at certain points you need to get more pressure, whatever. But if they can get pressure against against Mahomes, that's how the Bucs neutralized Mahomes three years ago in the Super Bowl and beat them. I think that's critical. So really the, the, the two storylines are, can the Chiefs stop the 49ers dynamic running offense and keep them from controlling the ball and possession and scoring that way? And can the Niners pass rush disrupt Mahomes, get pressure, and keep him in long down and distance and difficulty converting those third downs. Those would be the two storylines. I think if KC answers the bell on most of both of those, they win the game. If the 49ers answer the bell on both of those, they win the game. If they split it, it's really a toss-up, which is good. Gets me to the prediction. So Chiefs, Niners, Niners are one and a half point favorites. The over-under is 47 and a half points as we speak today. This is uh, Tuesday, uh, January 30th, so we're still... 11 days out whatever from the game or 12 days out, I guess now, as I said last week, you can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. However, I, in my heart, I'm a 49ers fan, been to so many games with a season ticket holder going to all those games in the late 80s and early 90s. I, I just, and then it's a toss-up matchup though. And my head says the 49ers strengths are a good fit against this Chiefs team. As I mentioned, their pass rush has historically been their strength on defense. Their run offense has been their strength. And those are the two weaknesses that the Chiefs have historically had. So this is a pedestrian Chiefs team, but they still have arguably the best quarterback ever in his prime. I think if the 49ers can win in the trenches, again, pressure on defense and positive movement in the run game, they will have an advantage and should win. A bet, though, on the 49ers is one against brilliance and one for it's their time. I'm taking the 49ers. They're the most complete team with a staff and system that is due to win. But the Chiefs are at least a 50% probability to win because of Holmes, Andy Reid, and their championship experience. So it's a toss-up, truly a toss-up. I personally am not going to put money in it. I've got too much emotional capital in this game, but it's going to be a great one. Okay, one last NFL topic before I get into the NBA. This will be quick. NFL's popularity is gaining steam and separating. Just to give you some perspective, 
I think a lot, this has been reported a lot. So if you're on social media or you're in the know, you definitely know this, but 93 of the top 100 watch programs last year were NFL broadcast. 93 of the top 100. That's insane. It's that everybody's, a lot of people are hyped on college football and playing its fastest growing or all these other things, but it's not there at all. National championship game, to give you perspective, at 25 million viewers, and that was a record, that both NFL conference title games were above 53 million viewers. The Ravens Chiefs was 53 and changed, I think, 53.6. And the Detroit 49er game was almost hit 57, which is, I think, a record. So that's a huge gap. And the Super Bowl will draw more than 200 million viewers globally which is 8x more than the equivalent college football product. And it could push like 240, 250 because of Taylor, but that's insane. In short, college football isn't even in the same stratosphere. It's in the NBA, even big college football realms, uh, college basketball realms, but it's still, it's popular. It's great. Obviously we love college football, but it's just crazy to put it in perspective of the NFL. Okay, I'm not going to go deep on this because I just haven't put the energy and time. I obviously am playing fantasy basketball. I'll talk, start talking about that a lot more starting uh, post-Super Bowl. But the NBA season's past the midway point, and we know who teams are. Shockingly, in, in my opinion, Western Conference number one seed right now is the Minnesota Timberwolves. I would never have guessed this when the season kicked off, given how the Rudy Gobert and Cat combination didn't seem to jive. But they're 33 and 14, only a half game up, by the way, on the Denver Nuggets, who are looking really good as well. They're back and they're trying to repeat and protect their championship. Third seed, by the way, in the Western Conference is Oklahoma City Thunder, who's only one game out of the one seed, which is cool to see. Total rebuild. They did it on the fly, though. They really only had one year where they really tanked. And that year they had Chris Paul and, and Shea Gildress as a second-year player. They made the playoffs. It gave a, a really gallant effort, almost upset. The, I think it was the Clippers that round. And then now they're back at the top of the heap and they've got some great young players. Chet Holmgren in particular looks great. Jalen Williams is a borderline all-star, do it, do everything type player. And obviously Shea Gildress is, he's in the MVP conversation. I think if Oklahoma City continues and plays this out and they're a top one or two seed, Shea's right there on the MVP front. But after that, you got the Clippers who have been hot, very hot. I think they have the best record since mid-December and they're now the four seed, two games back of the one seed in the West. Uh, then you drop down quite a bit. Kings are the fifth seed, five games out at 27-18. Solid, solid rematch, a great year last year. They're putting it together. And then Phoenix has gotten hot. They got some of their team together. So they're a game out of from the Kings, six, six games out of the one seed. And then you got a jumble of teams. The Mavericks are the seventh seed, one game out behind the Suns. The Pelicans currently are the eighth seed, one game out and actually tied with the Mavericks. So the Mavericks and Pelicans are kind of tied at that seven, eight seed. Okay. The Lakers are two and a half games behind the Mavs and Pelicans. The nine seed Utah Jazz are 10 at, at 24 and 24. Then you got the Rockets at 11, 22 and 24. And then you got the Golden State Warriors, the champions from two seasons ago, effectively with the same roster, by the way. They've gotten rid of nobody from that roster, no one that was core, and they're struggling. If you look at them, their point differential is only minus 0.04 or 0.4 which would put them on a point of virtual basis, would put them solidly in the seven, seven, eight seed in the, in the okay. East and definitely in the nine, they're solidly in the nine seed in the West. So they're just not doing a good job of finishing games. They've got some cohesion problems. They've obviously had some issues with all the Draymond Green out. So I'll have to watch how that finishes, but it's worth mentioning because that team's aging and uh, could be difficult. In the East, 
you got the Celtics running away at the one seed. They've got a four-game lead. Again, there's half a season left, but their point differential is right up there, all-timer at 9.5, which is great. They're about one and a half, almost two points ahead of anyone else, which, by the way, Oklahoma Thunder in the second at 7.9. So I always look at that because that shows a sign of how good a team really is. So it's really a good sign the Thunder is so strong there. The Bucks with Lillard and Chris Middleton and obviously Giannis are two, four games back of the Celtics. The Sixers, who are playing in, in Golden State tonight, so by the time you listen to this, you'll, there'll be a result there. They're third, six games back of the one seed at 29 and 16. The Knicks are four, tied, actually one, they're six games back as well, but they've got a, another loss in the loss column versus the Sixers. Cleveland's at five. Indiana's at six, and then you get down to Miami, Orlando, Chicago, and Brooklyn. When you get down to the Bulls, Brooklyn, we're talking about under 500 teams. In the case of Brooklyn, they're the 10th seed right now, and they're 19 and 27. So just pretty abysmal second half of the Eastern Conference. I think Eastern Conference is just not the same as the Western Conference, much stronger, which is obviously propping up the Celtics because they're playing a lot more Eastern Conference teams. It'll be interesting to see a couple notes here. It'll be interesting to see... If Indiana takes makes a move, they picked up uh, a move in the standings. That is, they picked up Siakam to go along with Tyrene, Tyrese uh, Halliburton, who's been emerging as franchise kind of superstar player. Miles Turner gives them that kind of size. So that's a team that you could see make a run. They're only a couple games out, two and a half games out of the five seed and three games back of basically the three seed. So that's going to be one something to watch. And then separately, Cleveland. Like if Cleveland falters a lot, they're on a 9-1 streak right now. But they've got a they've got a player in um, Donovan Mitchell who doesn't want to be there, right? He's been very open about wanting to be in New York, and New York's kind of wants him. So I could see a, a trade there if Cleveland says, "Hey, this team isn't quite ready. Let's recoup some capital." Or maybe it's even, "Hey, let's go trade Mitchell to a team to get a player that we think we can win with immediately." I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe not Jalen Brunson because they're probably not going to trade him. But maybe it's a trade for a Julius Randle type. They'd be a good fit for that team, a fit that need. I don't know if the Knicks would do it, but there's got to be something that's going to have to happen there because they don't want to lose them for anything. I'll go deep on kind of fantasy performance on the NBA side as we get past the Super Bowl, and I'll go much deeper on this. But it's going to be exciting kind of February, March, as these teams start jockeying. But I think we're starting to see like the class of the East is definitely the Celtics with the Bucks, Sixers, I think are, are legitimate contenders. I don't know about the Knicks and the Cavs yet. I like the Pacers, but we'll have to see if they can get hot. They're five and five in the last 10 and, and they've won three in a row. They just got Siakam last week. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And then the East I'm, or the West, I'm really excited to see how Oklahoma City plays this thing out, given their point differential and whether Minnesota can keep up this pace and whether you're going to see some movement, whether the Warriors going to make a run or is this the end of an era? The Lakers, I saw them play the Warriors. They beat them in double overtime, but I didn't love them. They need Herculean efforts every night from LeBron and or AD or both. It just doesn't work. Dallas on any given night could be a world beater, but they lack a little bit of depth. They rely way too much on Luka, who's been insanely great this year. So I look if I look at the West, I think it's it's really, to me, Nuggets obviously proven it. They won last year. The Thunder, if the Clippers can stay healthy, they're, they're amazing. Maybe the Suns can make a run. Maybe the Lakers, real distant Warriors. Again, they've got to make a move now, but it'll be interesting. And then worst record, worst team fight here. You got Detroit Pistons at six and 40. Again, they had that crazy losing streak. They've won a couple, including their last game. The Wizards are at nine and 37. 
And then the Charlotte Hornets are 10 and 35. In the West, the worst team is the Spurs at 10 and 37. So those four teams are locked and loaded there. And then you start getting into 14, 16, 18, 19 wins. It's going to be tough to tank to get guarantee your top position there, given that Detroit and Washington are so far off the pace. So anyhow, on that note, hope everyone has a great week. Enjoy all these Super Bowl storylines. I'm very excited to see all the hype as it emerges and really gets going next week. And uh, yeah, we'll come back at you next week and continue the conversation. Bye-bye. Before we leave, let me tell y'all a little something. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. I said, uptown.